It's so good to be here with you this morning. I haven't been here, I was away for a week, so it's really good to be back. Um, well, if, I haven't, if you don't know me, my name is Mike Bennett. I'm youth and young adults pastor here at Granville Chapel. I've been here, it's been my church for over 10 years and working in this capacity for almost three. So in the first week of spring break, we were able to get away to Alberta, which uh, we haven't been for three years. So we saw you know, little cousins who are now up here. Uh, and just to reconnect and hug and be together, it was amazing. The less amazing part was the 15-hour drive yesterday through the broken Coquihalla and snow to get back. So, but I'm here. Uh, and at the outset, uh, we're going to be going through this abide passage. I've made us a little card, which I hope is very helpful. I'll be talking about it. So if you didn't get it on your way in, I wonder if a few hands might go up. Um, it looks like almost everyone has it. The ushers have done an amazing job. But if you don't have it, maybe stick a hand up and the ushers. Okay, I see a couple hands down here. And maybe Heather will come in with a few cards. And the Kingdom Kids, this is your time to go out. And as those cards are being handed, let me pray for the kingdom kids. Jesus, thank you for these kids as they go out. Lord, we uh, entrust them to you, and we thank you for the people that are leading them this morning. May they go deep in your word. May they abide with you. May they live lives that grow up in you. And be with us, Lord, as now we consider your word and dive deep into it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So what I'm hoping to do this morning as we sit together under a very familiar passage is to give you something that I hope is both practical and relatable. A few more over here. That's okay. The cards will keep coming around. You'll all get one. We're in, as we've heard, we're in this series called Notes from the Upper Room. Uh, Paul opened it up a few weeks ago reminding us that Jesus went away and literally said, I'm preparing a place for you, and it's going to be in the presence of the Father. So we have this hopeful place and presence that we are yearning for. Uh, last week, Drew spoke, Paul's brother. I had a chance to listen to it this past week, and I was so touched. He talked about the healing of shame and uh, that Jesus works wonders when we come to him broken, and we, like the woman, hear the words, neither do I condemn you. So both of those, I think, for me, were a perfect lead-in to what I hope to share this morning on this familiar passage, because I hope to share maybe a practical how-to. If that's true, if the presence of God is where we're destined for, and if the healing of shame is what we're meant for now, how, do, how would we do that? How would we enter that and experience that uh, right now, right today? And uh, just as a, a, a preamble and maybe a spoiler, what I want to say, what I want to drive towards is this, that Jesus will meet your deepest needs when you practice abiding with him. An interactive relationship with him is possible. So this is sort of the thing I want to hang on. And secondly, all other methods of self-striving on our own will not lead us to the true life we all want. So if you can hold those two things together, that's where we're going. But I want to open up with a story, uh, and I think on the, there's some slides, there's a first picture, an aerial view. I once went, uh, when I worked for InterVarsity for 12 years, they, they did these amazing staff retreats, and they, they wanted us to be deeply formed 
in our spiritual walk with Jesus. So we, they took us to this camp. It's the YMCA camp uh, near Aurelia, Ontario. And it's a beautiful setting on a lake. And um, there's another picture coming where there's, it was in the fall. There were some fall leaves. So there we are. I'd come from frozen Alberta to sort of fall in Ontario. It's lovely out there. And um, they were trying to lead us in the spiritual practice of being with Jesus. And the whole week was, was led on this passage, which you see on the back of your card, those eight verses. That was the whole week. It was led by a lovely older couple who were skilled at being spiritual directors. And um, both, I think there was two main afternoons. The whole, the whole point after the intro was, well, now we're going to send you away to abide with Jesus. So there's a next picture coming up. So we went out walking. So the first day was two hours. The second day, four hours. When I, silence and solitude, they really said, well, don't speak and we'll be silent. You'll be alone until dinner time. And you're going to go. And they gave us a card like this, uh, the picture of the vine and the branches. Go away and abide with Jesus. I, I felt totally lonely and lost. You know, what am I supposed to do? I, I know they're going to get us together in small groups, and I'm going to have to report some kind of experience or encounter. And I realized in this sort of uh, call to abide, it wasn't my practice. I had never tried this. And in this first foray into silence and solitude in a beautiful setting, I realized that silence depends on not talking, and I'm kind of a talker. It depends on being alone from other people. And I thrive on connection with people. And it depends on being present to the Lord. And I realized, I, I think I just have no experience with what that feels like or means outside of maybe a few short devotional times. So I, I don't know if that's how you would felt if I said, well, let's take this and go away for four hours. But that's how I felt. So I, I walked, I mean, it, it felt a little cruel, but as I walked out there, I, I found that uh, slowly, randomly, this feeling of loneliness I was feeling began to be my guide. In fact, it, um, I began reflecting on other times in my life where I felt lonely or abandoned or small or not seen. A random memory of Little League Baseball came up. Nothing more lonely of being a little guy like I was, you know, not knowing what to do and getting laughed at and just feeling small. And some emotions started coming up. And so I sort of just, I'm, I'm in this place, I am alone. I didn't bring Kleenex, so the, the fall leaves became my box of Kleenex and it got messy. And I let it happen. And, and yet to my surprise, the scripture, which was on the back of my card, began to speak to me. And I... I felt that Jesus was just sort of speaking to me through this image of him being the vine, me being the branches. The natural setting around me started to speak to me. There's a, there's a next photo, uh, and I, I saw that, and it was also on the website, but there's this tree sort of bowing low to the water, and something about that image, and I love being in nature, and these images speak to me, but there's something about, you know, the, the water, if it was God's presence, and, and the tree sort of touching down to sort of to be next and be with. And then I walked further on the beach, and I just saw the water lapping up against the beach, and just, again, my mind was just filled with, like, you know, the, the, the connectedness, the, the togetherness of the, the lake and the beach. 
And it's like the Lord was just speaking to me through these images and through these verses, this strong impression, Jesus saying, I am with you. I want you to be near me. I want me to be near you as you go through these hard memories and as you process some of the deep sadness that I believe we all have in our lives. I want to meet that need. I want to be the answer to your loneliness. We can go to the next image. So I want to talk about grapes for a moment. Unless you're an avid gardener, you don't know much about grapevines. I, I know Andy and Marlene, who are off, always watching, you have a grapevine in your backyard, uh, nice tart green grapes. I've tasted them, very tart. Barry and Joan, I think, may have grapes. And any, does anyone else have grapevines in their yard? Terry? <laughs> Good. A few. So it's, it's, it's a great climate for it, but we don't all know it. And yet the people Jesus was speaking to probably were much more connected in the Mediterranean to grapes and grapevines. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about it. It's a bit unfamiliar to us. Apparently, and we'll go to the next slide, the world's oldest grapevine is 250 years old, and it's in the Hampton Court Palace in near London, and it's the Queen's Grape Orchard. 250 years, this massive vine, which sort of covers this trellised greenhouse, has been tended and, so, and serving grapes to the Queen and Maybe if you're from London, everyone gets these on Saturday morning. Fran, the Queen's grapes? Yeah, of course. Of course. So in order to have a vine that's 250 years old, apparently it can do it, but it needs a couple things. Um, it, first, it needs pruning. So I enjoyed this picture. There's this person and many people, I believe, tending this vine. It requires a lot of tending. And there's a quote on the website that said this, in November... When the vine is dormant, it is pruned. And they showed a picture. We, I don't have it, but it, they brutally prune back branches. They remove old, non-productive stems, and then the new stems are trained to take their place. My little bit of gardening experience is not with grapes, but uh, one of the crops is squash or pumpkins. Maybe you have tried to grow these things. These monsters can grow like 15 or more feet of winding vines. And so I found, uh, first year I made all the mistakes, second year I got a little better, I found that you have to prune those things brutally, otherwise they get mildew and rot, and the very vines that might grow you the nicest squash will not grow it unless the other competing vines are taken away. So I realized as I was preparing this, that, you know, if I had treasured all the lovely lush green vines of my, my squash plant, I wouldn't be eating squash in the winter like I am now. I would have, whatever, had these useless long branches. So that's the thing about grapevines as well. The wood on its uh, trunk and branches is really useless. It's not like other trees where you could cut it down and, and build something out of it. It literally has one function, growing grapes. So that's instructive in itself. The second bit about grape growing is it requires a trellis. The, the grapes need something to, to grow upon, something strong to hold up, a structure that can guide the growth. I found that out again in my, my squash and my pumpkin growing. They need a trellis. But when you think you're planting butternut squash, but you actually plant a pumpkin and that trellis, and suddenly you've got a 40-pounder on your trellis, that's bad news, so don't do that. I found that out the hard way this year. But a strong trellis keeps a, a vine plant up out of the ground where, where the fruit would rot or where the, 
the rodents would eat it. And so why are we talking so much about this? Well, in the, the, the trellis, we're going to talk about pruning in a minute and also trellises. And so just the, the trellis in this image is the practices. It's what we're going to talk about this morning. It's the getting away for the silence and solitude. It's a structure to uphold our lives to the Lord where, where the good fruit can grow. Because what we'll find and what we'll talk about is we have a whispering God. We have the kind of God who's always speaking, but sometimes you got to get away to these quiet places to hear that whispering God's voice. So let's talk a moment uh, from the Scripture. So the Scripture, all the Scripture we have this morning is on the back of your card. I just want to touch little bits of it and see what we can draw out, see what Jesus was getting at. So Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So I was really captivated at first by this, uh, this phrase, well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. So the whole point of a grapevine is the fruit. Delicious grapes. Like I said, the wood itself is useless. And so we have to think, what, what is this fruit that God's after? And uh, really, at its essence, I believe it's a being a person at peace with God. So if, we were, if that kind of fruit was growing in our life, what would our life look like? Well, I think it would be a person, people becoming their full selves, blessing others with their gifts in the middle of a hurting world. That's a lot of the fruit that God, that God grows in us. A desire to act on behalf of God with our gifts in a hurting world. We don't have to go much farther than the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the, the grapes, the clusters that grow when our lives are held up to the Lord. And we find out that the groans of the world, the pains around us, become the things we move towards with these gifts, and the fruit of meeting those needs become, start blossoming. But then there's the pruning. The verses clearly say, he, first, he cuts off useless branches. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So like vine growing and grape growing, there's these branches that head the wrong way. They look great, they're green, but they won't bear fruit. And if, if let to grow, they will prevent other branches from bearing the fruit that they're meant to bear. So they need to be pruned. It's like, I think I compare this to, it, it's like growth in, in directions that are our, our own strength and veer away from what God would want to do. They need to be pruned. Then further down in verse 6, it says this, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire to be burned. So to me, I was thinking this might be the type of branch that maybe it would reach out and maybe veer towards an apple tree and say, like, I want to root into there. I, I want to grow apples. It's not possible. But it, it could be sort of these vines sort of reach everywhere or a vine that reaches to the ground and, and sort of develops roots on the nodule and tries to become its own uh, grapevine away from the main trellis. It has to be cut out. 
and sort of a caution here. This is not about our salvation. just wanted to say that this morning. Jesus uses these natural images, and he wants us to feel it. And so sort of stick with the Lord for a minute and um, just trust him that he's a good gardener. So then I want to come to this, looking to the Father as the gardener. So there's nothing in pruning and gardening that is more intimate for the gardener than the pruning process. The gardener is up close, sees the problem that the plant can't fix on its own, and gets in there with the shears and does the work. So I want us to encourage us to not be fearful when we read these verses of the pruning, but instead see it as a place of intimacy with the Father, because pruning can be painful. And it could be that you're in a painful season of pruning, of things being cut away. I think globally, we've been in a very painful period of pruning. Things have been cut away and lost. Let's remember that the gardener is closest when the pruning is happening. Our Father is a loving, gracious gardener. No one likes this kind of discipline. And there will be grace. We don't get it all right, but there's grace. And he's doing it for our good. So now to verse 4, this call to abide. Jesus says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you, because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then he goes on further and says, Unless you remain in me apart from me, you can do nothing. So as Jesus was leaving, these notes in the upper room, he's saying, I'm going to need you to live in another reality. I want to cultivate in you, and he calls it abiding, habits of active reliance on the presence of the Father. Don't just wait for something to happen somewhere else. I want you to live this every day. You're going to need the active presence of the Father. You're going to have questions in life. You'll need to come to me. I will, I will speak to you. I will answer your questions. You're going to have needs in this life. I will come to you. I will fill your needs. And then the world is going to need me. I'm going to send you to connect to the needs of a hurting world. This whole call to abide that Jesus gives those disciples as he prepares to leave, I think is a corrective curse to what happened through Adam and Eve. It's a corrective to the curse. Because the world's alternative is bearing fruit apart from the Creator, which Jesus clearly in the passage says, he calls that doing nothing. It's attempts at arriving at God's kingdom without direct dependence on the King. The kingdom without the King, as Mark Sayers has said. It's the world of self-made social advances where uh, people and our plans um, are, are, are at the center, where we have no room for that input of the Creator. So through the practice of abiding, Jesus takes us and he wants to meet these needs. So I wanted to give you a, just a couple examples. I think we, we learn these things through story. I just want to give you a few of my own life. So two things, and they're a little bit poignant, and I, but and yet I believe they would speak to all of you at some level among many others. The first is worries about money. And at the root of this for me, and maybe you as well, is the question, is God enough to provide my daily needs? On that, what about my daily wants? I remember feeling this really keenly as a younger person, uh, in coming through high school and then into university, like that desire and that need to work and that 
that desire, it's a good desire, right? To provide and to, to have needs met. And yet it takes us, if it's followed, if, it, if you follow it on its own, it takes us in a way that uh, I meet my needs. I see this in Jesus' journey in the wilderness after his baptism where he's hungry and Satan, the deceiver, comes to him and says, I can offer you all the kingdoms of the world. Bow to me. Abide with me, Satan is saying to Jesus. I will give you the kingdoms of the world. So this call of uh, trusting Jesus for these daily needs, I think it's most difficult for us who are wealthy. And, you know, if we're, I, I consider us all wealthy, the types of needs we have met, the, the education we have, it's the most difficult because I think we won't see how uh, money and all that we have slowly but surely takes center stage for that act of reliance on God who says, I will meet your needs. I won't meet all of your needs that you want, but I will meet all of your needs that you really need. Um, we have felt this a little bit keenly. I don't know if I should share too much, but you know, uh, some of you, like we had learned, is uh, there's this thing called the stock market. There's nothing like paying attention to where your money is invested to sort of <laughs> rear up this sort of need, this, this, this yearning for more. And so it's in that very practical way as I've sort of thought about my past and this, this sort of present thing with the market has brought it back to me that this kind of abiding, I've had to go to Jesus more and more and um, just say, Jesus, do you meet my daily needs? Why do, why do you meeting my daily needs look different than those people over there who seem to have a lot more daily needs met? and even wants. So it's been a real area of trust that Jesus has been developing in, in me. And the second area um, that I think is thorny, that it's hard to talk about in church, is lust. And I think, uh, and it comes in all sorts of forms, and at, at its base question, I think it's this. Is God enough to provide my needs for love and acceptance? So in this area, um, we're just as good to acknowledge in a healthy way that we're all sexual beings. God's given us uh, many good needs that can be fulfilled in many good ways. From social connection, which one author calls social sexuality, the, the just being close, hugging, family, like that's, that fills a need. To the, the, the needs that can be met in a marriage and where kids can be born and, and uh, that can be shared. These are good things. So that ultimately that has to be said. And yet, in the area of lust, it's desiring some kind of fulfillment that we think would fill a longing or need that meets a need in a way that I want when I want. So it's a self, the problem here is a self-focused thing versus an other-focused as God is intended. And I see it again when Jesus was in the wilderness, when he's hungry, he's, his body is full of need, Satan comes to him and says, turn these stones into bread. I know you can do it. You know you can do it. Grasp that need that you have and seek its fulfillment. In our culture today, and especially as I think of us, uh, you younger people, it, it's kind of crazy that lust is actually celebrated almost as a virtue of freedom in our culture. The Christian past gets labeled as a very repressive time sexually where our true self was stuffed away. And unfortunately, that was true in many ways. We have to acknowledge that, that uh, 
in God's goodness, taking something good and stuffing it down into places that are hidden and shameful as if that would keep people from sinning. That was not the way to do it. And yet the liberated future that the world sort of lifts up to us where every desire you can meet in every way you can imagine is also not freedom. It's another kind of bondage, and we see that in the Me Too movement, the Church Too movement. So we see abuse, we see abandonment, we see people being used. So the call to abide, even as I have a family and I'm happily married, Jesus has had to speak to me and say, Mike, come to me, abide with me. I, only I, can meet your deep needs of longing. And earlier in chapter 14, just before this passage, Jesus has sort of said it in a way. He says this, I will be with you. I will come to you. I will then fill your needs of deep satisfaction. Only I can send you back into your marriage, into your family, into your friendships, so that your deep needs are met by me, and yet you can share love with others, so that lust and these other negative ways, these selfish ways, don't become the way to do it. So here's the concept someone shared with me, whether it's money, whether it's lust, whether it's any other thing in the good created world that we would use in the wrong way, it's this. God doesn't allow us to have a deep need which he can't provide for himself in a primary way. That's interesting. Money, that's very practical. Lust and sexuality, that's, that's very visceral. Is it, could it be true that God wouldn't allow us to have one of those needs in a way that he can't provide for himself in a primary way. Through abiding, as we spend that time with Jesus, I think what he does is this. He gives us back a way to interact with his created world. He gives us perspective. He helps these good things not become items to worship. He helps us stay healthy like the growing vine. So this call this morning to abide as we head towards a conclusion is a call to be flourishing. It's the call to seek the source, to grow the grapes, to be fully met in all the deep ways. And yet, even as he was uh, encouraging the disciples, he, they're like, what about us? We've left homes. We've left land to follow you. And he says, oh, you'll, you'll get homes. You'll get land with persecutions. So there is that. There is that in this world we will have trouble in the ways he helps us abide and helps our needs be met, we will have persecution. And, and that's sort of the rub. That's where the world sort of tempts us away. It's like, you shouldn't ever feel sad. You shouldn't ever feel lack. And that's actually one of the lies. Jesus says, it won't be easy, but I will be with you. You'll go through the hard times, whether it's with family or economy or anything. I will meet you as you regularly abide with me, and it you will have what you need. It will be enough. I will be enough for you. So this drew, draws my mind back to as I was running last week, which is something I do. I listened to something, and I was listening to Drew's sermon, Paul's brother, who spoke last week. And, and it connected for me. It's that when we abide in Jesus, this is the, our pathway to hear what Drew said is the five impactful words he told that woman caught in adultery neither do I condemn you. When we go to this Lord, this whispering God in these quiet places, this is the voice we hear, neither do I condemn you. Because that voice of shame, as he spoke, is just ready 
to condemn you each day when you get up. We come to hear his voice. So I ask, do you need to, how do you need to hear that voice today? That voice of the creator that says, neither do I condemn you. Because I want to say it's only through regular abiding that we'll be able to turn to that voice of healing and find the wholeness we long for. Only this is the medicine that can silence that voice of shame. Not numbing through whatever method you may use, alcohol, entertainment, YouTube, Netflix, phone scrolling, sex. Not performing even good things at work or, or in sports or even in ministry. People use these good things to numb themselves instead of going to the source. We seek identity in unhealthy ways in really good things. And yet, sometimes, often, it's going to be facing our shame in the presence of the good gardener that will lead to this, this luscious crop of grapes and wholeness, this, these ways that only Jesus can cure. He is the one who took on himself the shame of the world, nailed it to the cross so that we can be whole. But in order to do this, we need to come to him. We need to practice it. It's not something we can sit here and just be convinced of in your mind, which is, which is why I've given you this. My encouragement this week is to go and find some ways to abide. And maybe having this with you in your pocket or in your bag or in your room will be that, will be that place where you can think about the vine and the branches and the grapes and the fruitfulness that God has for you. And to make it practical, I, I want to encourage you that this is very, can be very life-giving. It's not a call to be sort of a religious monk-like thing that doesn't fit you. No, it's, it, maybe for you it's doing art or journaling. Maybe that's a pathway for you to abide. Maybe you like to be active. That's where I find it. It's, it's through a morning walk or a run that really helps me tune in and listen and slow down. Maybe it's sitting in your favorite chair with that coffee or tea in the morning. I would say seek variety. As you seek to abide with Jesus, do it in different ways, in different places, like I had a chance to do at that camp. Get out of just your head. Use your body. And be confident that the Lord will meet you with his presence. It's like getting invited to a swimming pool, being admitted to the pool with your bathing suit on, sitting there shivering, and yet not going swimming. We wouldn't do that. So this call to abide this morning is to jump in. Be with him. Let him be with you. And to conclude is Jesus' own words in verse 7 and 8. And he says this, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So I, I just end with a question. How will you respond this week in this call to abide with Jesus? How will you seek connection, healing, and flourishing that awaits you? So as we head into worship, I'm going to call the worship team up. Um, we're going to go into a communion time. And in the space between in worship and in communion, I want to invite you to, maybe it's sitting with Jesus Maybe you want to write some things down. What are the areas he's nudging you, inviting you to have met only in him? You may even be able to turn together and pray, ask someone to pray for you. What are the ways of abiding that Jesus is calling you to meet?